Hello and welcome back into the Floor Slap podcast, everyone, where we are Big Ten fans talking about Big Ten sports. I'm your host, Sean. Today is part two of analyzing all the Big Ten coaching changes that that have gone on so far this offseason. We are giving every school a one through five star rating um, for how their coaching changes have gone, pretty much grading their offseason as it pertains to their coaching staff. In case you missed it, in part one, which was our first ever Floor Slap podcast episode, we looked at the four and five star schools, which was highlighted by major changes across the board at Purdue, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. So if you missed that, make sure to go back and listen to that. Today is going to be a little bit of a mood shift. We're looking at the three, two, and one star schools. So not quite as many changes to cover today, but still plenty to talk about. And we're going to be figuring out where some of these schools went wrong and how they could have had a better offseason. But we got plenty to talk about today, so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it. This is the Floor Slap Podcast. We got quite the offseason ahead of us, and it's going to be another long one, uh, as it always is, but we have plenty of time to figure out what all of these teams are going to look like next season, who's going to be starting, where every team's strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and really figuring out what the Big Ten and college football landscape is going to look like. But before we dive into all that on-field stuff, we are wrapping up uh, the coaching changes with part two today. And to start things off today, we are going to be looking at the teams we gave a three-star rating to. Again, rating their off-season as it pertains to their coaching staff. So the first team we're going to be talking about today is actually the last team that had to make significant changes across the board and made a lot of new hires. Um, And that team is Illinois. Illinois had a really interesting 2022 season. They came in with virtually zero expectations. They lost their Big Ten opener in Week 2 to Indiana in a game they should have won. They really fumbled it away. And as the season went on, that loss looked worse and worse. But then they reeled off six straight wins. Even entered the top 25, spent the majority of the season as the favorite to win the Big Ten West. But then they won only one of their final five games. That's including a brutal loss on the road to Michigan where they were so close to pulling off the upset. And then another tough loss in their bowl game against Mississippi State where their offense just couldn't do anything. Um, But nonetheless, even though the season kind of ended on a sour note, they did uh, go 8-5, and which was way above anything anyone was expecting them to do. Um, And in Brett Bielema's second year, it seems like the rebuild is kind of coming together sooner than anyone had expected. But let's face it. Illinois, as a football program, is not up there with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and they're not really even in that second tier with the Wisconsin's and Minnesota's. So when a uh, program like Illinois has a season like they did in 2022 where they surpass a lot of expectations and impress a lot of people, their coaching staff is going to be poached for better offers, and that's exactly what we saw happen. Ryan Walters, their defensive coordinator, left to go be the head coach at Purdue, and he brought four Illinois staffers with him over to Purdue three of them on the defensive side of the ball. So at face value, this looks like really bad news for Illinois because virtually all of their wins last year came on the back of that incredible defense, one of the best secondaries in the country, and on the shoulders of Chase Brown, um, their great running back who's now going to the NFL. So again, at face value, these are really tough losses to overcome, and it's even compounded by the fact that they're going to a fellow Big Ten West school. Now, starting in 2024, divisions won't matter because they'll be eliminated, but for this season, they're going to be contending with the West with a team that knows their defense inside and out, and that is tough. However, the bright side for Illinois, and really it's a good statement of where they are as a program right now under Brett Bielema, is they recovered from a litany of losses really nicely. They They retained a few key guys and had a couple really great hires that really mitigate the losses that we see on the coaching staff. So that's why they get three stars. They held tight. I think they're still in a really solid position. They didn't bring in any splash hires, Um, but let's take a look at the guys they did bring in. To replace Ryan Walters as defensive coordinator, they are promoting Aaron Henry, who's been their defensive back coach the past two seasons. He came over to Illinois with Brett Bielema, and I think this is an absolutely massive retainee for Illinois. Because the strength of Illinois' defense the past two years has been their secondary. And last year, they had one of the best secondaries in the entire country. So keeping the architect of that secondary with the team and putting him in charge of the entire defense, um, 
I don't think that they'll see much of a step back at all with Aaron Henry at the helm. He was instrumental in the rise of cornerback Devin Witherspoon, who was one of the who's likely to be a first round pick, maybe the first cornerback taken off the board in this upcoming NFL draft. He went from relative unknown to one of the best cornerbacks in the entire nation in a two year span, and that has everything to do with Aaron Henry's coaching. And he's helped develop great secondaries everywhere he's been. Um, before Illinois, he was coaching secondaries at Vanderbilt, NC State, and Rutgers, going back to 2016. Um, what's also interesting is he played safety at Wisconsin with Brett Bielema from 2007 to 2011. He was all Big Ten um, his final two years there. Um, and so I think it's really interesting seeing that continuity between him and Brett Bielema. Um, but he's he's a great leader. I think he's going to take over this defense, mesh well with Brett Bielema, and their, their Illinois defense isn't going to skip a beat. Um, but on top of that, they did make a couple outside hires. One that I'm really excited about is Charlie Bullen, who's going to be their new outside linebackers coach. He actually comes over from the NFL. Most recently, he was coaching the Cardinals outside linebackers since 2019. And before that, he was um, coaching the Dolphins uh, linebackers and even their defensive line going back to 2012. So he has a long history in the NFL. He coached with Kirk Ferentz, another great defensive mind at Iowa before the NFL and he's worked with guys like Chandler Jones, Hassan Riddick, Kiko Alonso, Olivier Vernon, so all pro-type players. And I just love bringing in NFL guys like this uh, to a program like Illinois. He knows what it takes to get to the next level, and he can coach up their guys to get to the NFL. Um, this is just an exciting type of hire. Uh, and I think bringing him to one spot of the defense that probably could use a little bit of help um, is key. And I think, again, it's just setting up Illinois for success. And then their third outside, I'm sorry, the second outside hire they had was Antonio Finalis, uh, who's going to be their new defensive back coach replacing Aaron Henry. Um, this, at face value, I think is kind of uh, an interesting hire, to say the least. He was LSU's defensive analyst the past couple seasons, doesn't have a ton of ex uh, coaching experience. He's a relatively young guy, but he actually played, again, defensive back at Wisconsin with Brett Bielema and with new defensive coordinator Aaron Henry. He played DB from 2008 to 2011. He was first team all Big Ten in 2010 and 11. He had a pretty short playing career, um, but I just love the continuity we're seeing between Brett Bielema, their defensive coordinator Aaron Henry, and their new defensive back coach Antonio Finalis. Charlie Bullen, again, is an exciting hire, and outside of those new additions, they retain pretty much everyone else. So, even though they lost a lot of guys uh, to Purdue with Ryan Walters departing over there, they recovered really nicely. And I think this is a great sign for where they are as a program. This is going to happen when you have good seasons and you're a team like Illinois, you're going to lose coaches. But if you can recover um, from those losses, which they did, I think that speaks a lot for, for where they are. So I think next year, at the very least, we can expect them to get back to another bowl game. Um, they got to figure out some stuff on the offensive side of the ball. And again, we will talk about all that type of stuff later this off season. But from a coaching standpoint, it seems like Illinois recovered from a lot of key losses really nicely. Um, Brett Bielema again is extended and I think he has this program riding pretty high. And I think that they are, they're going to be in the thick of the big 10 West again this year. Um, and they're not going to be a slouch when divisions get eliminated either. So I like the changes they made but they didn't have any crazy outside hires that really wowed me. Like I said, Charlie Bolin is probably as close to a splash hire as they could have gotten. They didn't address uh, some issues with their passing game from last season. So um, they're not by any means a perfect coaching staff, but I think all in all, they're in a pretty similar position for 2023 as they were last year. And you can chalk that up as a win for them, considering the amount of coaches they lost to Purdue. So um, Illinois gets three stars. They recovered nicely, and I think this is a, a good sign for their program. Next up out of the three-star schools is going to be Maryland, who's coming off of a solid 2022 season. They went 8-5, and five, which is the most number of wins they've had since they joined the Big Ten in 2013. They had a solid victory over NC State in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, and they recently got some good news that Talia Tunga-Viola is returning for another year of school. So under Mike Loxley as head coach, they are in as good of a position as they've been since they joined the Big Ten. And they didn't have to do a whole lot of reshuffling uh, on their coaching staff either. They did have to replace their top two offensive assistants in Mike Miller and Dan Enos, who both left for other jobs. But before they even hired their replacement, which I'll talk about here in a sec, 
I wasn't overly worried about those losses and what that would mean for this offense, um, especially with Talia returning. Um, I think that really boils mostly down to Mike Loxley, though. He's an offensive coach. He's been their main play caller. Um, so I was never super concerned about this offense. I would be more worried if Talia had decided to leave and then they'd have to break in a new quarterback coach and a new quarterback. But with Mike Loxley still at the reins as head coach, with Talia coming back, and they showed out in the Dukes Mayo Bowl that they're going to have another great receiver room next year. I wasn't worried about their offense, at least for next year. And then they uh, announced their new offensive coordinator on Valentine's Day, so a recent hire. Um, so if you haven't heard this, prepare yourself, because <laughs> it is a name. It's Kevin Sumlin coming over to the Big Ten. Yeah, let that sink in for a second. Um and I know a lot of people might laugh at that at face value, uh, mainly because of his recent track record as head coach. Obviously, he got kind of run out of town at Texas A&M. Then he went to Arizona to be their head coach, and that was a massive failure. And actually, most recently, he, this was completely surprised to me when I looked it up. He was the head coach of the Houston Gamblers in 2022. Yes, of the USFL. So that kind of tells you how far Mike Sumlin has fallen as a head coach. And you can laugh all you want at Kevin Sumlin, the head coach, but he's not coming to Maryland to be their head coach. He's coming to be their offensive coordinator. And there's two things that Mike Sumlin can do really well. That's draw up an offense and recruit. And that's what he's going to be doing at Maryland. And I think him in the same room as Mike Loxley, Talia Tonga Viola, and a great set of receivers, I think that spells trouble for the Big Ten. Obviously, Maryland is in the toughest division in college football. So it's going to be tough in any scenario to envision them really competing for the Big Ten Championship, but they are going to give Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State some really, really tough games, and Maryland's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, outside of that, the only other loss they had was Wes Neighbors, who was their safeties coach. The rest of the defensive staff is staying together. I don't believe they've hired a replacement for Wes Neighbors yet. So Maryland gets three stars. Uh, it sucks losing your top two offensive assistants. Kevin Sumlin is a great hire. We'll see. It might be kind of risky. We'll see how he pans out. I think he'll be great. But all in all, Mike Loxley has Maryland as relevant as they've been since they joined the Big Ten. Um, and I think with Mike, Kevin Sumlin isn't as big of a hire uh, as it maybe was five years ago. I don't think that pushes them over into four-star status considering who he has to replace. But Maryland, as a, their coaching staff, is largely staying together. I have a lot of faith in Mike Loxley as head coach. Uh, so all in all, a solid offseason of pretty much staying pat for Maryland. I give them three stars. The last team that gets a three-star rating from me is Michigan State. On the early National Signing Day back in December, Mel Tucker said that he wasn't planning on making any changes to his coaching staff. He ended up staying true to his word. He didn't let anyone go. The only guy that they had to replace was defensive line coach Marco Coleman, who left for Georgia Tech. And that might have been a blessing in disguise because their defensive line really struggled um, to do anything productive last season. And they ended up getting a really good replacement. Uh, Dyron Reynolds comes over from Stanford. He was their defensive line coach for a long time. And he's got um, NFL coaching experience. He's been coaching for years. And he's coached guys like uh, Solomon Thomas, uh, Jared Allen, the Vikings great, Jason Taylor, Dwight Freeney. And the list goes on. He's a very experienced guy. He's coached some amazing players, some NFL Hall of Famers. So if anything, I think that is really a step up for Michigan State. And everyone else stays together, which I think typically for a team like Michigan State would be a win. Uh, you don't want to see a ton of departures when you don't need it. Um, but I really struggled on whether to give Michigan State two or three stars. And the reason was because I was frustrated, as I'm sure some Michigan State fans were, that Mel Tucker decided not to address his special teams or the secondary at all. And those are two areas, especially the secondary, that Michigan State has really struggled at since Mel Tucker became the head coach. They were the worst secondary in the entire country in 2021. They made some small improvements last year, but they were still 13th in the Big Ten in pass yards per game and total defense. And they went five and seven. It's not like you can hang your hat on a Kevin Walker-like season where um, you had a massive upset of Michigan. No, Michigan blew you out. Ohio State blew you out. Um, and they're just not, they don't appear to be the same team that they were for so many years. Um, but I came around, I ended up giving them three stars because 
I think I was probably being a little bit too ambitious. I've said this about some other schools, but Michigan State just isn't Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State. They can't do what Ohio State did last year, where they overhauled the entire defensive staff, brought in a lot of big-name guys like Jim Knowles, and shelled out a lot of money to new defensive assistants. Um, They just can't do that. And I think if there was a guy out there who could come in immediately and fix things overnight, I think Mel Tucker would have made that change. But that's just not the case, so I think his best move probably was to stick to what he's got. Um, my only concern is, you know, if next season they have a a similarly disappointing year, let's say they go five and seven again, which is very possible given how tough the big 10 East is and given how much Michigan state has to replace, um, Mel Tucker is going to be going into 2024 on the hot seat and he's going to have to make major changes across the board on his coaching staff in order to save his job and keep Michigan state from slipping back into mediocrity. And I think if that happens, we will look back to this offseason and say, you know, he could have gotten ahead of this with a shakeup on the defensive staff, um, and he could have saved this from spiraling out of control. But again, I just, I don't see any hire out there where I'm like, why didn't he hire this guy? You know, there just weren't, there weren't, weren't those type of guys on the market. And I think his best option was probably to stick to his guns rather than throw a Hail Mary on someone random and disrupt this coaching staff. I think keeping everyone together for another season should build some continuity. I think they should take another step forward in that secondary. Um, And I think with Dyron Reynolds, if he can get Michigan State defensive line to play like they did for so many years before, uh, Michigan Michigan State could make some noise again. Who knows? So I think it's a positive that the entire coaching staff is sticking together for another season. Uh, I was certainly frustrated, like I'm sure a lot of Michigan State fans were, that Mel Tucker um, really just threw out the idea of even considering a change on the special teams or in that secondary um, as far as coaching goes. But I didn't see a whole lot of coaches out there that were were an obvious hire that he should have looked at. Um, He's sticking to his guns, and I, I think this whole coaching staff sticking together is probably for the best. So for that reason, Michigan state gets three stars. So now we're going to look at the teams that we gave a two star rating uh, for their off season as it pertains to the coaching staff. So these schools aren't necessarily in a detrimental situation, but um, either they are, they took a step back from the coaching staff that they fielded last year, or they didn't make changes when maybe they should have or they made some questionable hires, whatever it is, it's just, there's something missing um, compared to last season. So let's dive right into it. The The first school we're going to talk about is Iowa, who actually, funny enough, made no changes at all. But they get two stars because they absolutely should have made some changes. Um, and listen, I get to an extent keeping this coaching staff as is, despite having their historically inept offense. Like I can't even put into words how bad their offense was last year. Despite that, they still went 7-6 and six with a dominant win over Kentucky in their bowl game. Um, and I think that speaks to where they are as a program. I think they can co-field a JV offense and still be a winning team. And I think that gives Iowa more reason to stick to their guns and you know keep following the same recipe of keeping to their def- identity of defense, controlling the clock, minimizing possessions, and doing just enough on offense not to lose them a game. I think by following that, they're going to continue to be content winning six, seven, eight games a year with that occasional 10 plus win spike every three to five years or so. And that's kind of, that's what we've seen out of them the past 15 years or so. And that's probably what they'll be moving forward. And I think looking at 2023, their defense certainly is going to take a step back, but they should still be a great overall unit. And they get Cade McNamara at quarterback who transferred over from Michigan. He is a major upgrade from Spencer Petrus. So given that, I think next year very well could be one of those years they go like 10-2 and and win the Big Ten Championship. But my problem is the straight-up refusal on Kirk Ferentz's part to do anything to innovate or improve this offense. He's keeping his son in charge of this offense after he showed last year how inept he is as a play caller and as a developer. He also kept Kelton Copeland as the wide receiver coach despite not getting anything out of the position in his seven years there. Like, it's, it is beyond me how Kirk Ferentz can look at the offense that they had on the field last year and look at what their coaches did to help their players and be like, yep, let's run it back. Great, great job, guys. We can do better next year. Like, they don't have to, Kirk Ferentz doesn't have to make some massive pivot to being an air raid offense, a triple option, read option, spread, 
West Coast, whatever. He doesn't have to go be something crazy. He can stick to his guns and still be a pro-style offense, but by God, you got to be competent. You don't have to be an elite offense, but you got to put more than like 10 points a game on the offensive side of the ball up on the scoreboard. It's just, it is, it's insane. And just as a reminder, I think this illustrates perfectly the kind of ineptitude they have on that offensive coaching staff. Charlie Jones, one of the best receivers in the Big Ten last year, he caught 110 balls for over 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns with Purdue. He was an all-Big Ten receiver. Reminder, his two seasons at Iowa, he caught 39 passes combined. And if you watched Charlie Jones play this year, his talent was undeniable. He was a great route runner. He went up and made contested catches. He's a great athlete. His lack of production at Iowa was solely because of the coaching. I don't know if they just didn't recognize how good he was or they just didn't know how to get the ball in his hands, but Charlie Jones catching 39 passes in two years, though, is it is just absurd looking back now. And I think that proves I was not void of talent on offense. They certainly have guys. They're void of a quality play caller. They're void of any sort of developer at any of the skill positions. They just don't know how to coach these guys up. And Kirk Ferentz is really looking around at this coaching staff after what they put on the field last year and is like, yep, I'm I'm good with this. We can we can win. No, you can't. You can go, you can go seven, eight wins in a one of the worst divisions in the entire country with that kind of offense. You cannot go be nationally relevant. You just can't. And it's I'm not even an Iowa fan, and it pisses me off. I can't even imagine how Iowa fans feel. And listen, I don't know how many coaches would have wanted to come to the shit show that is the Iowa offense, but the lack of motivation to even attempt to interview someone who could have helped this offense is why they get two stars. Like, it's just just ignorant on Kirk Ferentz's part. Keeping his son in charge of the offense after the shit show he put out on that field. And listen, Cade, Cade McNamara is a good quarterback. He's he's not he's not a, an NFL quarterback. He is not going to be drafted in the first two days. Like he is not going to step in and just because you have a more talented, a more accurate, more mobile quarterback back there, he's going to fix your offense like night and day. He's not. You you need a coaching change. So I, I know that they're going to stick to their recipe of that three yards in a cloud of dust. Try to hold on to the ball. We're going to re- rely on our defense for every single win. I know that no matter what they have on offense, they're going to stick to that recipe. But by God, like put be able to score 20 points a game. And the fact that I'm sure you heard about the contract that they gave Kirk Ferentz's son to return as offensive coordinator, that his offense has to score at least 25 points a game or else he'll be fired. Like, is that really the bar you have, Kirk? Because honestly, what they did last year, I'm not sure that they, they, he, that they can hit that. I'm really not sure. And the fact that Kirk Ferentz has thrown that contract out there like that knows, I mean, he knows that his, his son was a failure last year. I don't know if it's nepotism. I don't know if Kirk is lazy. I don't know what the situation is over there. I don't know why Kirk Ferentz felt so comfortable sitting back and keeping this offensive coaching staff together for another year. But if I if I was an Iowa fan, I'd be I'd be irate. I already am irate, and I'm not an Iowa fan. God, like like I said, this offense doesn't have to be an elite. It doesn't have to pivot to a, an air raid option, spread attack, or any other variety. They just need to be competent. And by keeping all these guys together, I'm not so sure they're going to be competent next season. I think Cade McNamara helps, but shit, I I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what they put out on the on the field next year. So they get two stars. Honestly, that I talked that out. They may have, they should have gotten one star. Like it's ridiculous. But moving on, Iowa gets two stars because Kirk Ferentz is an ignorant, ignorant old man. The next team we're going to talk about out of the two-star schools is Michigan. And they've had a really interesting offseason from the get-go with the NCAA investigations going on and then Jim Harbaugh once again interviewing for the NFL. Um, It really seems like as far as Harbaugh, Harbaugh goes, it's a matter of when, not if. He decides to leave Michigan for the NFL. Uh, the Vikings last year, he was close to an offer there, and it seemed like he was ready to leave Michigan, but didn't get the offer. And same deal again this year. He was interviewing for the Broncos, really wanted the job, but he just didn't get the offer. So I'd be shocked if he's at Michigan more than three more seasons. But we are talking about 2023 today, and he is definitely back for at least one more season at Michigan, which is great news for Wolverine fans. 
but Michigan does lose a couple key assistants uh, that we got to talk about. The first one really wasn't a national headline. I don't even know how many Michigan fans are really aware of this guy. Um, associate head coach Biff Poggy left for Charlotte. And interestingly enough, he actually had no game planning responsibilities. He wasn't associated with the offense or defense or special teams. He didn't coach a position group. He was there for, as they called it, um, more so emotional support. He was really a culture guy. And he's been with Michigan the past two years, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that his arrival aligns perfectly with the best two seasons Michigan has had under Jim Harbaugh and the two best seasons they've really had of the 21st century. I think he was key for fixing the mindset or whatever was going on in that Michigan locker room, um, fixing that and allowing them to not only beat Ohio State, but really dominate. Uh, and so he's gone now, and I think that's a really tough culture loss. I don't know how much we'll see the impact of that this year, given how much talent they're going to have, but uh, it's that's definitely a tough loss, and that's not someone you can just go out and replace. In fact, I don't believe they are replacing that associate head coaching role. Uh, so that, that definitely hurts, but as far as on the field 2023, they should be fine with his loss. Um, that's something we'll feel probably two, three years out. But the other big loss they had was Matt Weiss, who was actually let go because of these NCAA investigations. And this is now going to be Michigan's third offensive coordinator in the past three years. Um, Gaddis, their offensive coordinator from 21, he left to be the OC at Miami. And when he left, I don't think there was a ton of panic from Michigan. It was definitely a tough loss, but they had Matt White, Matt Weiss in the waiting ring. He was their off, uh, co-offensive coordinator in 2021, and he had a long history of coaching the Baltimore Ravens in various different positions, going back all the way to 2009. So he was a seasoned and proven head coach. Uh, he stepped in perfectly to that role. He was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach this past year. Um, but I think now that loss really does hurt because now they're turning to Sharon Moore to be their offensive coordinator. And he's been their offensive line coach for the past couple of years, and he's been at Michigan since 2018. And he's a great offensive line coach. He has a long history of you know being a good recruiter, good tight ends coach, good offensive line coach. And that's, uh, I mean, he's been a big reason why Michigan's had probably the best offensive line in the entire country the past two seasons. But we're talking about being an offensive coordinator now. And so I really don't know where these play calling duties are going to go. I doubt it goes to Sharon Moore, given that he has no play calling or offensive coordinator experience in his short career. Um, it might go back to Jim Harbaugh. And if it does, I think that might spell trouble for Michigan. Um, you know, I think no matter who calls plays for this year, they're going to be probably entering the game next year um, with a win and you're in back in the Big Ten championship type of scenario and when you're back in the college football playoff as well. But we're at the point for Michigan now, It's we're talking about can you win a playoff game? Can you contend for the national championship? And in order to do that, they're going to need more than just their offensive line and those two great running backs in Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. Uh, you're going to need to see some steps forward in that passing game. That's going to be tough. Um, especially with Ronnie Bell gone. And we've seen those first kind of five or so years of Michi Michigan's uh, Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan. That offense was sputtering. It was inconsistent. There was some dummy play calling going on. And I think Jim Harbaugh's kind of lost his uh, persona as that quarterback guru that he carried for so long at Stanford and in the NFL. He's just not that guy anymore. He's, I mean, still a great coach. I think Michigan's going to be great again next year. But I don't see how... Uh, Sharon Moore is going to be um, the answer at offensive coordinator. Uh, Michigan did promote Kirk Campbell to be their new quarterbacks coach. Um, Campbell was previously the offensive coordinator at Old Dominion in 2020 and 2021, so maybe the play calling duties go to Kirk Campbell. He has been the offensive analyst for Michigan the, uh, last year, and he previously worked with Gaddis at Penn State before he was the OC at Old Dominion. Uh, so Play calling duties might go there, but again, this is a really young guy. He doesn't have a ton of experience. I guess Jim Harbaugh sees something in him uh, that can hopefully elevate this offense for them, but I see the losses of Biff Poggy and Matt Weiss. I see what Michigan did to try to replace them, and I think it's without a question that this coaching staff is taking a step back next year. Uh, so that's why they get two stars. Matt, uh, Matt Weiss and Biff Poggy are simply two big losses, and I don't see Kurt Campbell and Sharon Moore being the answer. So Michigan gets two stars. The next team we're going to talk about out of the two-star teams is Indiana. So 
Indiana actually reworked most of their coaching staff after last offseason, so there was never a lot of big changes expected. Obviously, going into 2021, they had some preseason expectations, um, which is really funny thinking about looking back now. Um, but season was a disaster. So they last year, they replaced their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, running back, receiver, and defensive line coaches. So five of their um, top assistants were replaced last year. So of course, not a lot of overhaul was expected this year. The only change they did make was along the offensive line. They fired Darren Hiller and replaced him with former Wisconsin offensive line coach Bob Bostad. Um, and so he was let go by Wisconsin. Um, but let's face it, Wisconsin had much bigger problems than just Bob Bostad and their offensive line last year. They were looking for a culture change, and Bob Bostad was probably happy <laughs> to get out of there. Um, but he has a really good track record of coaching offensive lines. He has two different stints at Wisconsin. He even coached in the NFL for a few years with the Titans and the Buccaneers, and he's been coaching since 1990. So he's a proven quality coach. I like this hire by Tom Allen, and I think he'll benefit Indiana and help improve that offensive line a little bit. And even though I do like the hire of Bostad, uh, I just I just don't believe in Tom Allen straight up. This was a, a really, really bad team last year. I think you can even look at teams um, that had horrible years last year, like Northwestern and Rutgers, and see a few bright spots. See, uh, you know, some areas in a couple of position groups where you know they did play relatively well. And I just did not see that at all with Indiana. They were a train wreck, uh, and there's really no way around it. And I think 2023 is going to be similarly as bad as these past two years have gone. And I think there's a really real possibility that Tom Allen doesn't make it through the end of the year. So this two-star rating isn't on Tom Allen not making the right changes or doing something he shouldn't have done. Bostad was a good coach, and he replaced a lot of assistants last year, so he'd be silly to uh, try to make another overhaul um, this quickly. So it's not on Tom Allen. This is on the administration. I think they should have gotten rid of Tom Allen. I don't think that this program is heading in the right direction. I don't think they have a lot of reason for optimism this year. And like I said, I think that there's a really good chance that Tom Allen doesn't make it through the end of the year. And we're going to be sitting here next year being like, you know, they could have, like I said, with Michigan State, they could have gotten they could have gotten ahead of it a year early uh, by by, make, by making up some changes this year. So um, it's just kind of silly. I think Tom Allen is really hanging his hat on that COVID year, which the further we get from that COVID year, I think we see more and more anomalies that came out. Um, when in reality, Indiana was just one of the few Big Ten teams that weren't at some point decimated by unavailable players and opt-outs. Uh, they kind of hit the jackpot in one year. And I think in your tenure, if the only good thing you can really point to is that COVID year, I think that gets tougher and tougher to defend. So if I were Indiana, I would have let Tom Allen go after this year. So they get two stars for, for keeping him around. But um, I do like the addition of Bostad, and hopefully, uh, if you're an Indiana fan, you know maybe if you want to find some optimism, keeping this coaching staff uh, all together for another year, you know maybe they will find some magic, and, and maybe they will find some some areas to improve. So, um, Indiana gets two stars from me. The last two star school we have is Minnesota. They extended their head coach, P.J. Fleck, after back-to-back 9-4 -back seasons. He also picked up his fourth bowl victory in his six seasons as head coach this past season, so he has Minnesota in a really solid spot as a program, uh, but they did have a few key assistants leave this offseason. So the first one was running, running back coach Kenny Burns, who left for Kent State. He came over with P.J. Fleck to, from Western Michigan to Minnesota, so he's been really integral. Uh, to that really strong run game that they've had. They've consistently had one of the best run games in the Big Ten since P.J. Fleck took over. So he's been their running back coach since 2017. He became the head coach in 2019. Um, and, and really, he helped coach up one of the best running backs they had in their school history in Mo Ibrahim. So I think that, that that's a loss that definitely hurts. Losing Ibrahim and Kenny Burns in the same offseason is going to do a lot of damage to that run game. But I do like... Uh, the guy they replaced him with, Nick McKissick-Luke. So he um, he's got, got his coaching career started in the FCS, coaching a lot of different schools from 2008 to 2019. But he spent the past three years as Northern Illinois' running back coach and special teams coordinator. So what's interesting, his first season with Northern Illinois, they were last in the MAC and one of the worst teams in the 
um, entire country in in rushing offense. But the past two years, he's they've been second in the MAC both years with better than 190 yards on the ground um, per game. So those definitely aren't eye popping numbers, but he's proven that he can help kind of develop a running running game. And I think um, he's an energetic guy. I think he's going to be a good fit for Minnesota. I like that hire. Um, but Minnesota also lost their offensive coordinator, Kirk Chiraka, who left to coach Rutgers. So we'll talk about what that means for Rutgers a little bit. That's kind of an interesting story. Um, as you may have guessed, Rutgers is one of the, the one-star schools. I don't so much have a problem with um, Kirk Chiraka leaving Minnesota. I am not particularly wowed by him as an offensive coach. Um, what I have a problem with is who they replaced him with. Uh, they kept it in-house. Co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Greg Harbaugh is likely to be the sole offensive coordinator for Minnesota this year. So he's had an interesting coaching career. He's been coaching since 2009, started off mainly with a lot of smaller schools, uh, but he's had three stops at Minnesota since Fleck joined in 2017. So he's been bouncing around a lot, but he is really familiar with Minnesota, really familiar with PJ Fleck. So I like that continuity. But my problem is, as quarterback coach, he was really tasked with helping develop Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan had a pretty solid freshman year. A lot of people thought Minnesota was going to be set at the quarterback position for years as Tanner Morgan continues to develop and grow and improve as a player, but that never really happened. In fact, you could argue that Tanner Morgan took steps back from his freshman year. You never really saw his arm talent grow. You never saw him become um, you know, more athletic. And he, if anything, he started making worse decision, decisions as his career went on. So uh, I think you look at how Greg Harbaugh helped develop Tanner Morgan, and that's certainly questionable. And now you think he's going to be put in charge of this entire offense. Um, it's definitely questionable. I don't particularly love that PJ Fleck is leaning on Greg Harbaugh to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, and when you look at how much they lose on this offense too, they might be in first in trouble next year. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, they only had to replace one guy. That was defensive line coach Brick Haley, who left for Purdue. I talked about that a little bit in part one of this episode, and they replaced him with Akron defensive line coach Winston Delate Boudere. I hope I said that right, but he played at Minnesota from 2016 to 2019. He was a defensive tackle, um, not crazy stats, 83 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, five sacks in his four years there. Um, then he went to be a graduate assistant at Charlotte and Oregon before becoming Akron's defensive line coach. So I like that he's familiar with Minnesota. I like that he played for P.J. Fleck. Again, that continuity, I think that's really important on a college coaching staff. But he's just so young, and it wasn't like he was a standout player. It's not like he made it to the NFL. I, I personally think I question if he's really qualified to go be a Power 5 position coach. So although I do like the addition of Nick McKissick-Luke, he is tasked with replacing a really good running back coach in Kenny Burns. I'm also underwhelmed by the promotion of Greg Harbaugh and the addition of Winston de la Tabudere. Um, so all in all, I do think this coaching staff is taking a bit of a step back next year. But my bigger problem is with Minnesota as a program right now, because you look at this past season, it really looked like it was finally Minnesota's year to take the West and compete for a Big Ten championship. You look at how big of a shit show the Big Ten West was and how flawed and messy every single team in that division was. And then you look at Minnesota, who had their, one of the best running backs in school history paired with a fifth-year quarterback and a seasoned coaching staff. It really did seem like that was this was their year. And they had me fooled the first month of the year. I thought Minnesota was going to be a really, really good team. Although they ended up end, uh, ending the season on a high note, the season was ultimately came up short of what they were hoping to accomplish. And this really makes you think, if they couldn't get it done this past season, when will they? Because I think this upcoming season is their last legitimate chance, at least for a long time, to go compete for the Big Ten Championship. Uh, when divisions get eliminated, Minnesota is going to have a really, really hard time. The Big Ten West this year should be as much of a, a shit show as it was this past season and, and really most of the years since um, the Big Ten West has been put in inception. But if I'm a Minnesota fan, I'm a little bit nervous. It does seem like with P.J. Fleck, you know, they, they have Min he has Minnesota relevant, but it seems like they're the new Bo Pelini and Nebraska. It seems like 9-4 and four is what they're going to be every year. So, um and I think these, the, what he did with the coaching staff this year, um, I think just reinforces that. I think he's content with where they are. And if you're Minnesota, you, yeah, you probably are happy with a 9-4 season. But um, they get two stars because they had some key losses. I'm not overly impressed with the guys that they um, replaced those losses with. 
And it just seems like the Minnesota is going to be a perpetual 9-4 and four team. And now we get to the really juicy stuff. We got two one-star teams to talk about. So both of these teams really got some work to do. Uh, the first one is Rutgers. So them, like Indiana, had a big overhaul of their staff last offseason. Last year, they hired six new assistants, so little turnover was originally expected. The only guy they really had to replace was Sean Gleason, their offensive coordinator, who was fired midseason. Um, Shiano said that he uh, decided to fire him midseason because he genuinely believed that they could win games this year um, with that roster and that schedule. So uh, maybe tells you a little bit of what's going on in Greg Shiano's mind. But um, nonetheless, that was probably the right answer. I still really had believed in how this rebuild, rebuild was going for the most part. I was a big proponent of Greg Shiano. I thought they had a solid defense. They've been showing improvement year over year. They played some really good teams, pretty tough, like even Ohio State and Michigan. Um, and I felt like that if they finally got someone in that could help to this inept offense, that they would be going somewhere and they could become a perennial perennial bowl team. Um, I think they really just needed someone who knew how to come in and, and coach up quarterbacks and help develop them. Because Greg Schiano, he's a defensive guy. He does not know what the hell he's doing on the offensive side. They just needed a play caller. They needed someone who could help coach up a quarterback. And I think they they have bodies in that quarterback room. If they can get even a smidge of talent out of them, I thought that you know Rutgers was going to be in a, in a solid spot. So I was really interested to see who they hired as offensive coordinator. Who can they get that could kind of be a splash hire? Because at the end of the day, it is Rutgers. They don't have a lot of money to shell out to offensive assistants. But I was excited to see who they came up with. And instead, they hired Minnesota offensive coordinator Kirk Chiraka. And I just finished talking about him. He was their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach from 2017 to 2019 um, and 2022. He stopped at Penn State and West Virginia in between those two stops. Um, and interestingly enough, he was also the offensive coordinator at Rutgers with Greg Schiano from 2008 to 2010. And he was fired after 2010 after a really bad season. So I think Kirk Chiraka was a good fit for Minnesota. He had them, um, you know, in the upper half of most offensive statistics. Um, they were a run-first team, and I thought Minnesota was doing just fine with him. But and I kind of use this as a blow on Greg Harbaugh, but it also falls on Kirk Chiraka's shoulders too. He got almost nothing out of Tanner Morgan, who, like I said before, may have regressed since his freshman year. Their offense largely relied on Mo Ibrahim the last year, and most of the years that he was their offensive coordinator, they really relied on their run game. So I don't think that Kurt Chiraka can be relied on to get what they need out of Gavin Wimsat or anyone else that they want to go throw out there at the quarterback position. He's just not an innovator. He's not a, and he's, I know he's coached with Greg Schiano before. He has some familiarity with that there, but he was fired from Greg Schiano's staff for, staff for having an incompetent offense before. And there's just not, there isn't a ton of talent at Rutgers. You need a player developer. And he just is not that. Um, so I was initially underwhelmed by that hire, but, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. But now it seems that that hire has really sparked some problems inside the locker room at Rutgers. Since he announced that hire, um, their tight end coach and their offensive line coach both just walked away from the program. So I don't believe they've replaced their offensive line coach yet. They moved their running back coach to be their tight end coach. Their wide receiver coach is now their running back coach. And then they hired this guy, Dave Brock, to be their wide receiver coach. So really just a lot of reshuffling going on. And I do like the addition of Coach Brock. He was a Texas analyst this past season. He was the Falcons wide receiver coach from 2018 to 2021. He was the University of Delaware's head coach for a few years. He coached Boston College's tight ends. He has other stops at Hofstra, Temple, UNC, Kansas State um, since he's been coaching since 1988. So he's a seasoned coach. Um, I like that he has NFL experience. I think that he can help kind of develop these receivers a little bit, which is something Rutgers has really been struggling with for years. So I definitely like that addition, but it doesn't help their biggest need, which is a proven play caller and someone who can develop quarterbacks. That's what Rutgers needs, and they did not address that at all. It seems like Greg Schiano is rebuilding Rutgers like it's 2006 again. Like they can get by with averaging 320 yards a game and putting up a, you know, 
touchdown or so every game. Like it, that's just that's just not the case. That's not what college football is anymore. College football has changed so much in the past ten to twenty years. Not only with the transfer portal and transfer portal and NIL, which is a big reason why Rutgers is kind of up against the wall as far as getting talent into their program, but offenses are just scoring more points today. And I think you saw that. Um, you see that year in and year out in the college football playoff. You know, there are teams that have great defenses that still give up 40 points to because to other great offenses because that's just where we are in college football today. It's becoming more and more important to be able to score points in order to win games. And with guys walking out over this mediocre offensive coordinator hire, um, I think Rutgers might have a culture problem at this point. And um, that's the last thing that Greg Schiano needs to address when you're dealing with his d- talent disparity and trying to just get to a bowl game in college football's toughest division. Um, their focus needs to be on the field, and you can't be dealing with off-the-field stuff, and that kind of seems like what's going on with Rutgers right now. So I do like Dave Brock as their new receivers coach, but they just had to do a whole lot of reshuffling because um, they now had to replace guys that they weren't planning on replacing. I think Kirk Chiraka is a fine offensive coordinator, but... They did not address their biggest needs of a play caller and someone who can develop quarterbacks. And until they address that, Rutgers is going to be, uh, you know, a three, four, five win team at best. Um, and it really sucks. I would love to see Rutgers become good again. I really had faith in Greg Schiano, but I think this mediocre offensive coordinator hire is just icing on the cake. And I think it's a good sign that. Uh, that he's not on the path that I thought they were. He is not going to be able to find success building this team back up like he did um, that first stint with Rutgers. So they get one star because I don't really know where they go from here because their offense is going to be just as inept. They're going to win four games at best next year, uh, and they got a problem on their hands. So one star for Rutgers. And the last team we have to talk about today is the Northwestern Wildcats. And they're coming off of the worst two-year stretch they've had since Pat Fitzgerald took over as coach. They went 3-9 and nine in 2021 and are now coming off of a 1-11 campaign. That was really an abysmal season for them. Um, and not only that, they have some reshuffling to do on the coaching staff with their defensive coordinator, defensive line coach, and wide receiver coach all fired. And it took them a while to uh, find their replacements. They didn't hire these guys until recently. Uh, but Armin Benz is their new receivers coach coming over from Youngstown State. David Braun is their new defensive coordinator coming over from North Dakota State. And Christian Smith is their new defensive line coach coming from South Dakota State. Uh, so I'll be honest, I have not heard about these guys before uh, Northwestern hired them. And I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about them. What I do know is all three guys are now stepping into their first Division I jobs. And I think uh, that illustrates pretty well where Northwestern is as a program right now. Obviously, uh, they've never been considered elite. They always had some trouble getting really you know high-level talent um, and big-name coaches uh, over to help Pat Fitzgerald. But in today's climate, you know, like I mentioned with Rutgers, with the, the transfer portal and NIL, I think it's just getting tougher and tougher for Northwestern to keep their head above water. Um, And I'll be honest, I think Pat Fitzgerald is starting to go stale at Northwestern, kind of similar to what we saw happen with Gary Patterson at TCU. He brought TCU to to incredible heights, um, really surpassed any expectations anyone had for him. And he was the big reason why they were able to make the jump and, and join the Big 12 and join major college football. But towards the end of his tenure, he they started to slip back into irrelevance. They kind of lost some momentum and failed to regain it. And uh, because of that, they had to let him go. And I think we are starting to see that happen with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Um, So just for some perspective, let's take a little bit of a look at his career there. So he became the head coach in 2006 and went 4-8 and that year. But then from 2007 to 2018, Northwestern had as good of a stretch in football as they had in their entire history. Um, they missed bowl games only twice when they went five and seven in 2013 and 2014. That was the only time during this stretch where they missed bowl games in back-to-back years. Um, they surpassed double digit wins in three of those years and they got to the big 10 championship in 2018. Um, but then let's look at this stretch of 2019 to 2022. That's a four year stretch. They went three and nine, seven and two, three and nine, and one and eleven. And that one seven two season was the COVID year. 
And like I mentioned with Indiana, the further we get from that season, the more analytic it really does appear. And I think it's hard when you're looking at this four-year stretch, if the only good thing that's happened in that stretch is that COVID year, like I said with Indiana, kind of hard to um, hang your hat on that season. And you look forward to the 2023 season, and I think we're going to see another, you know, 2-10, and 3-9 and nine type campaign from Northwestern. Um, it really, I hate to say it, but I really think it's true. Um, the problem is that the school is indebted to him. I think even if they do go 1-11 again next year, I think it's going to be really hard for, for them to let him go, mainly because I think they're aware. Like, who are they going to be able to replace him with? Um so the reality of the situation is he has job security. It's hard to say what his job security would, would be like if he goes, you know, two and three or has two or three wins for the next two seasons. But as it stands right now, he's not going anywhere. And I think Northwestern is is just in trouble as a program. Um, I think they're they are firmly at the bottom of the Big Ten, along with Rutgers and Indiana. I see no real reason why anything we've seen in the past few years um, should give us hope that they can reascend to being a, a bowl eligible type team. Um, and I think they're stuck as a program because they're indebted to Pat Fitzgerald. They really can't let him go um, aside from two more abysmal like seasons. And even if they do let him go, who the hell could they hire that would even hold a candle to what he's done for their program the past 15 or 20 years? So it's um, it's a problem for Northwestern and they get one star because, you know, they had more overhaul on their coaching staff. I don't particularly love the hires they made. I think Pat Fitzgerald is going stale. And I think um, those years of Northwestern getting eight to 10 wins a year and making appearances in the top 25, I think that's over for a while. I think it's going to be um, a long time until we see Northwestern get back into being a top 25 type team. And that is going to do it. That is the 14th and final team we're looking at at this uh, 2023 coaching change analysis. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Floor Slap Podcast. I have been Sean, your host. I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you learned a little bit of something, and I hope you continue to listen along with us. We got plenty more to cover uh, the rest of this winter, into the spring, and throughout the summer as we gear up for this 2023 season, we're going to start looking at every team's rosters and really figuring out what this Big Ten and college football season is going to look like. So continue to check in, continue to look for new episodes. Uh, we're going to be expanding this floor slap brand uh, with social media accounts we got a website coming up so um, plenty more to come continue to check in but thank you for going on this first journey with us hope you learned something and i hope you continue to listen along with us uh, episode three should be coming up soon so i will talk to you all later thanks